To the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there be no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the body body does not not consist of one member, but of many. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Good morning. Uh, The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 33. Please read along with me. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. There you are. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, this is your first time. Welcome uh, to the Transit Church. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, as you could have guessed through that reading today. We're going to be in chapter 14. This is the Last talk um, in a kind of series of talks within a bigger series on 1 Corinthians uh, on the spiritual gifts. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. Open up your Bibles, turn them on, turn there. Again, if this is your first time at the transit, what we do from the pulpit from up front here is we go through books of the Bible. Um, And so that's where we're at today. That's the text we're going to be looking at. And where we've traveled so far in regards to the spiritual gifts and talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which addresses the spiritual gifts, we've looked at the what and the why so far of the spiritual gifts, and today we're going to be looking at the how. So the what of the spiritual gifts, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, uh, three categories that we've been using to help you guys kind of categorize what Scripture gives us. One is there's people gifts, two, skills gifts, and three, manifestation gifts. So one, the first one is the people gifts, the offices of the church, the, the pastor, the evangelist, the, the apostle, the prophet, so on and so forth. Uh, it's kind of like a, a school that has pres- uh, principal, vice principal, teacher, coaches, so on and so forth. There's just offices in the church, people that are given to build up and edify the church in those offices. So those are the people gifts. And then the second thing we've been looking at is kind of the, the skills gifts that God gives us. These are like natural abilities that you and I have. Uh, I am not naturally gifted at administration, but I'm naturally gifted in other areas. And it might be the, the flip side for you. Those are just natural giftings that you had that you are actually to steward for the building up of other people for God's glory. And the third one that we've been looking at at length for these past couple of weeks, what we call the manifestation gifts. This is when, the, uh, when God the Holy Spirit operates in and through us to love others. These are kind of the Uh, If the skills gifts are the natural abilities, the natural skills, uh, the manifestation uh, gifts are the supernatural gifts. It's the Holy Spirit, God, operating through us. uh, And and air quotes here, uh, we might term these the weird gifts, right? The the speaking in tongues, the the prophecy, the, the acts of miracles, so on and so forth. So, and then it's not just the what, that God gives us these gifts and he operates through us that we need to be open uh, to and available for, forgot to do that, but also the why behind that is important to remember. A couple weeks back, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, where God gives us these gifts in love because he's a good father, and we are to, to receive that in love, but also give what he has given to us, to others in love. Basically, if we do not pursue love and pursue the gifts, we're going to abuse the gifts. 
And so that's why love is so important. That's why if we truly love others, we truly will desire more of the spiritual gifts because we'll say, uh, God, the needs are so great around me. Give me more of you so I can give them more of you. Give me more of you so I can give others more of you. And so today we've looked at the what, we've looked at the why. Today we're looking at the how, where in our text, the Apostle Paul is just giving uh, pretty simple, basic instructions for the corporate gathering of God's people to the church at Corinth. And so last week, uh, Jeff talked about the first half of 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul calls out the misuse and abuse of the gift of tongues uh, in in the the Corinthians church gathering. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, um, he says, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? It's literally what Paul says. Because what the Corinthians were doing, they were so excited. It was a good thing. God was at work among them. They were excited about this gift of tongues that everyone would come and they would start, you know, the majority of folks, not all of them, but probably the majority would just start speaking in tongues. And it was kind of chaotic. And, and Paul says literally in verse 23, if, imagine somebody comes in, which we want, someone who doesn't know Jesus, and they walk in that back door to, you know, the transit church. And all of us are just speaking in a heavenly language or a foreign language. person would walk in you know, do one of these and then slowly just, just back up and be like, this is, this is incoherent. It's incoherent, right? And so that's what we looked at last week where Paul says, essentially what we looked at last week was that love requires intelligibility, coherence. Like we have to be coherent. There's a message, there's a gospel to be communicated. Um, and that needs to be done in a coherent, intelligent, in, in intelligible way. And then today, the, the latter half of 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, teaches us that love requires order as well. If things are uh, on a Sunday morning gathering or the corporate gathering of God's people are done unintelligibly and chaotic, nobody is built up. We'll see in our text that all things are to be done so that we can be built up in love. And if chaos and disorder reigns in the gathering of our people, nobody is built up. Everyone is actually kind of confused and potentially uh, torn down, the exact opposite of why we gather. And so in today's text, Paul is simply giving some, if you've ever been bowling, some bumper rails for the, uh, for the Corinthians here. And what sticks out to me is this, and then I'll, I'll pray and we'll dive into the text, is um, the title of my sermon is Proper Use, Not Disuse. This text that we're going to be reading is often used, more often than it should, um, to, um, to ban the Holy Spirit in a way from the worship, from the worship gathering. And you can't do that with this text. That's what's so crazy, as we will see, is that this is what Paul says. In response to flagrant abuse of the gift of tongues and the prophetic, like it was kind of a chaotic Corinthian gathering, Paul does not say, all right, enough with this. Like, like this is crazy. No more gifts. No more Holy Spirit. Like you all, like he doesn't prescribe disuse. What he prescribes is, is kind of proper use. And he says, and dial it up a little bit, right? If you guys have seen the SNL skit with Will Ferrell and Christopher Walken, I got to have more cowbell. Have you guys seen that? So Christopher Walken's approach, so Will Ferrell's on the cowbell. They're doing a recording of a song, and he's just giving everything he's got. But it's like, he's, he's, he's abusing. It's not, it's, not, it's not working. But Christopher Walken comes in, and you think he's going to come in, the studio recording guy. You think he's going to come in and say, get rid of the cowbell. But he comes in, and he says, I got to have more cowbell, right? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. And, and listen, I know that's, that's funny, but, but listen, I think often we can, I can't believe I just shared that. That wasn't in my notes. Um, so the Apostle Paul is a Holy Spirit guy. And in response to the abuse that the Corinthians were doing with the tongues and the prophecy and all that stuff, he says, I got to have more Holy Spirit in your meetings. So he says, dial it up, dial it up earnestly desire the spiritual gifts three times in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. That, that's it. And so let me pray, and then we'll, we'll let the text speak for itself. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we, just, we just come before you grateful. Your mercies are new every morning. Um, you're just so faithful. You're just so faithful to us. Even, even when we're lukewarm, that's, that's what's so crazy, is even in our lukewarm, even when we're indifferent and apathetic, you're still pursuing us. You're still calling us. You're still wooing us in a way. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and you would do that. That you come and we feel your presence. And then you'd, you'd wake us up from, from, our, from, our, from our slumber, Lord. And that, we, and that you would do the work that you can only do, Holy Spirit, and that you would call us to repentance. And the beautiful thing about repentance is that uh, on the other side of repentance is always more of you waiting for us, God. 
And so have your way, Holy Spirit. This is your church. These are your people. This is your sermon. May you increase, may I decrease. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Verse 26, we're just going to read through uh, this passage together. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things done be done for building up. What immediately sticks out in verse 26, stop right there, is this. The people of God aren't prescribed to show up empty-handed to the corporate gathering. He says, he says each one kind of brings something. There, there's multiple people in this verse coming with something to give, to, to share. Like they're coming to a, a potluck, if you will, and they each have something that they have prepared to share, to build up everybody around them, a hymn, a lesson, a tongue, a, a revelation, so on and so forth. And so it's almost as if what we learn here says, well, let all things be done for building up. It's almost as if the corporate gathering of God's people is like a Chip and Joanne's house flipping project, Right? Like some of you are skilled in flooring, tile plumbing, uh, maybe interior decorating or, you know, whatever. But we all come here ready to do some, some building up work, right? And so it's a whole different perspective of Christianity being a spectator sport. The, the, the job of the elders is not to entertain the saints, it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so my, 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 my challenge to us this morning would be, what's your posture when you come here on a Sunday morning? Is it the same posture that you, you come to a, to a movie? You just sit and you're just going to receive it and leave it. And sometimes in regards to timeliness, maybe it might be good for you to, to, to show up on time because you show up, because I know I show up 15 minutes early to movies because I'm so excited about the previews. But, but I, I just want to challenge us in that, in that in the Western world, we have been so consumer focused that we think that this is how this works. When in fact, God's word and what we just read here is that essentially the corporate gathering of God's people is all hands on deck, baby. Jesus Christ purchased his bride and he wants to present her at the end of time without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He wants to beautify her on this side of eternity. So when that time comes, she will be, the church will be in all of her glory without wrinkle or blemish as Ephesians teaches us. And we have been enlisted in that same goal that Jesus uh, has for his church. And so we come here ready to, to build up, to encourage, to strengthen that there's work to be done. There's work to be done. So we come here this morning, we say, man, Lord, 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 Lord. Who can I encourage this morning? Who can I, who can I pray for? Maybe, could you, Holy Spirit, would you want to give me, if you want to give me a word for somebody that they need to hear, I'm, I'm available. Would you speak that to me? That's the posture. That's the mindset. And, can, uh, and continuing uh, from verse 26, that's kind of the, the uh, Paul moves from the general of saying, hey, all things are to be done for building up. We're all here to come with, uh, uh, it's not about me perspective. It's about God and others perspective. And then he moves to the specific. He moves from the general principle to the specific and lays out some ground rules for how the gift should operate in a corporate gathering, particularly with the gift of tongues and particularly with the gift of prophecy because those are the ones that tend to be the most uh, misunderstood or abused. And so here's some ground rules for tongues in the corporate gathering, verse 27 to 28. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So real simple here, Paul is, is giving the Corinthians some, some boundaries. He says, one, the first rule is this, is listen, some not all, some not all, all of you cannot speak in tongues, two to three at most. And what we learn there, the principle that we learn with that is ability in your gifting does not uh, equate your right to use, your right to use. Does that make sense? So like I play guitar, I don't play guitar nearly as anyone up here on stage, but if I have this, this gifting, if you will, and I come with my, my ax around my back and I'm like, hey, you know what, like they didn't schedule me this Sunday, they should have because I'm gifted. All right, yeah, you guys can, and I'm just gonna do a 15 minute solo while you guys are up. That would be, that'd be disorder, that'd be chaotic, that'd be confusing. Just because I have an ability doesn't mean that I can demand right to use in the corporate gathering. That's what Paul's saying is two to three people at most. Because otherwise it's chaos and nobody is built up. And that goes to the, the next uh, rule, which is like good Christians, wait your turn. Like good Christians, wait your turn. There's one person is speaking, do not speak over them. Pretty straightforward. And then the third thing he says, and let somebody interpret. So, so what we learn there is that if, if um, you're feeling, man, you're just, you're, you're fired up in the spirit and you, and you really want to speak. Well, if you want to corporately speak in tongues in the corporate gathering in the Corinthian church, you have to know that someone was there who could interpret, or you'd already have to know that, that, know that interpretation before you spoke it. Otherwise, otherwise, rule number four applies, which is build up or shut up, is what the Apostle Paul says, essentially. As he, says, he says, be silent. 
He says two, three people, and then, and then he, he prescribes silence to those who want to uh, speak in tongues. He's saying if nobody can interpret, if nobody can interpret what he's saying, nobody is built up because they have no idea what's being said. So therefore, kindly be silent. Shut up. Build up or shut up is the principle when it comes to our uh, gifting. And so those are, those are kind of the simple ground rules, like kind of broad but simple ground rules that he gives to the Corinthians um, in the corporate gathering. And I think a quick side note that's important to mention when we speak about tongues is that um, uh, you guys, if you've been here past couple weeks, you know my story. I was once kind of uh, believed, uh, held to cessationist views in regards to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord has changed, the last three years has done a, put me through the washing machine of the Holy Spirit, and so I don't hold to that anymore. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, but here, 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 here's, why, here's, here's what I'm getting at, is that I think often we have a tendency to mock um, the gift of tongues. Or even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? We have like a, a, a mocking superiority spirit in regards to this, that we curse that which God has blessed. Gift of tongues is God's idea. It's God's gift. It's the Holy Spirit. So how dare we go shoulder to shoulder with the enemy and curse that which God has blessed? And so uh, last week when Jeff had, you say, hey, raise your hand if you, if you speak in tongues. If you would have done that four weeks ago, I wouldn't have been able to raise my hand. But since he did it last week, I was able to raise my hand. Because three weeks ago, I was at a conference. This is more charismatic. And all of a sudden, I started speaking in tongues. And, and let me tell you this. Uh, let me tell you one thing. The reason I share this is, is this. One, we're going to talk about this at the conclusion, is none of us have arrived. So God has more to offer. And that's, that's the journey he's taking me on these past couple of weeks. It's like, oh my gosh, there's, there's more that God has to offer. I, I am speaking in tongues now. I never once really wa- I never really wanted the gift, but he gave it to me. And, and so, 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 one, so one, he has more to offer. That's why we want to earnestly desire the gifts. And then two, two, listen, you, this is a good gift from God. See, that, that's where I've been so humbled is realizing how much I should have wanted this gift because it's so strengthening. It's the only way I know how to describe it. It's so strengthening. Um, that's why we earnestly desire spiritual gifts. A lot of times, we don't know what we're missing out on. And that was my story until about a couple weeks ago. By God, and it's just all God's grace to me. Uh, moving on, uh, ground rules for the prophets in corporate gathering, or ground rules for words of prophecy in the corporate gathering, verses 29 through 33. Let two, or, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophet, uh, prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So the ground rules here are the same as tongues. Some, not all, two to three at most, because there's other things that need to be accomplished in the meeting. You all can't be talking over everyone. And then what's interesting here, what we need to uh, hone in on a little bit, is that Paul encourages and exhorts the church to carefully and corporately inspect the prophetic word. He says, let others weigh what was said. So I think there's two common misconceptions or two, two, two improper approaches to prophetic words. One is blindly accept whatever is said. And, and, and nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament in regards to New Testament prophetic utterances are we ever to blindly accept, as thus saith the Lord, a prophetic word. We're, we're not. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 20-21, do not despise prophecies, but test everything but test everything so we can't we're, we're not i think that's the i think that's the the hesitation to to uh to want to shun the prophetic is that we think we have to blindly accept it if somebody says nick thus saith the lord thou art ye heathen and thou need to you know like all that stuff and and that's not i'm not if that if someone gave me that word i'd be like thank you for for stepping out in faith and doing that I'm going to go, me and my me and my crew is going to go talk about that and discern if it if it aligns with this if it doesn't align with this, it ain't, from, it ain't from the Lord, right? So we don't blindly accept. But then the other one, the other tendency, is just to outright reject. To outright reject all, all. And we just, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul doesn't give us that option. He says, do not despise the prophetic. Do not despise it, but test it, right? So we can't blindly just, we can't, we can't flatly uh, or outright reject the prophetic words, and we can't just blindly accept it. So what's the third option? Is prayerfully and corporately inspect that which is being said. That, that which is being said, which is just 
using gift of discernment, right? So, so what we learn here is that the prophetic word, prophetic utterances that people will give and say, hey, like I feel the Lord is saying this is, is we test it. It needs to be sifted, evaluated. It has to have a rubber stamp of approval, both corporately and in regards to scripture. And so at the conference I was at three weeks ago, I got my first prophetic word. Not, I'm not, I, it came out of my mouth, but somebody else's mouth where we were sitting, there's a break in the surface. All of a sudden, someone just asked me a question and just started, boom, just firing away. And, uh, and then I, I was sitting down, he was standing up, and I just started breaking down because he was reading my mail. He was reading, my, I mean, literally. And I was like, this is totally the Lord, spirits at work. And uh, I, I mean, I wasn't like, I was like, you know, tearing up and trying not to cry. But anyways, I, I got his contact info, and then I was like, dude, can you send me that? Because you, you kind of spoke there for like five minutes, and I, I need to remember that. And, uh, and I don't want to just, I don't want to uh, uh, blindly accept it. Like, I, there's some discernment. I didn't tell him that. But I said, hey, send me what you got. And so he sent me what he had a, a week or two later. And then I sent that to a couple people. I said, okay, prayerfully discern this with me. Let's pray about this. That's what it looks like, I think, to uh, prayerfully and corporately inspect, invite others into that word as well. Then Paul gives the last rule here. Again, the same rule that he gives to uh, those who want to speak in tongues. He says, build up. Use your words to build up. But then if somebody else, as we read in the text, if somebody else has a revelation as you're speaking, you see them getting to, like, you stand up for yours and you see someone else getting ready to rise, then, then you sit down and shut up. You be, you be silent. He tells them to be silent so that others can speak. That's how, that's how this thing works is if you are speaking, I cannot be speaking. So, so give your word, build up, but then quickly sit down so that the, the, the two others behind you can speak as well. And then in verse 32, Paul says something kind of weird. He says, the spirit of the prophets are, are subject to prophets. What does he mean there? I think what Paul means there, what he's getting at, is he is anticipating a response in regards to um, the Corinthians not wanting to listen to his ground rules when it comes to tongues and when it comes to the prophetic. And I think the response that Paul anticipates is this, is, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes on me, I can't help but just start giving prophetic words. I'm completely out of control. When, when, I, when, when the Holy Spirit wants to start speaking in tongues, I'm just completely out of control. I can't, I can't help it, Paul. It, that's why we all have to speak at the same time. And Paul says, bogus, bogus. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I'm a Holy Spirit guy. I know how it works. That ain't how it works. You have control. You can be silent. You, 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 you're not in a trance right? You're not. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates, um, particularly with, like, through, the, through the tongues and through Paul saying you're, that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Like the prophets are in control of what they're saying, so you can obey these ground rules I'm giving you. That's how these giftings uh, work. And so we need to ask this helpful question. Well, what in the world is the purpose of these ground rules, right? Why is Paul giving all these ground rules? There's a bigger why behind this. And, and we learn that in verse 31 and 33, Paul says, so that. Paul says, the reason I'm giving you all of these ground rules and telling you to be silent and to sit down and telling you to kind of like to, to obey some, some rules and get some order here, he's saying, so that all, verse 31, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Everyone, all, that's the goal, all, everyone in the gathering, those who can speak in tongues and those who can't, those who can, you know, like, like everyone should be built up and encouraged. That's the target we're aiming at, may learn and be encouraged. And then he says in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. God is not a God of chaos and disorder, but, but, but when you see that word peace, that's the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word shalom. And we get this idea of Genesis 1 and 2, when God took the, the, the disorder, the chaos, and, and spoke order into, into the disorder, and, and, and what we see there is, is, is kind of this Garden of Eden harmony at play in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right? Diversity coming together in unity to bring about harmony, shalom, wholeness. God's original intent for creation is shalom, this like harmony, of all uh, diversity of gifting in the body of Christ coming together in unity to bring about this beautiful shalom, this peace, this wholeness, this oneness. And um, that is God's intent for the church. And that's God's intent for the diversity of giving, that uh, diversity of gifting that we have been given is that idea of harmony in our meetings. That when we come together, we're telling a story of what our God is like. Right? We're coming together and we're saying, our God is a God of peace. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God of kindness. Our God is a, a God, uh, yes, of decency and order. And our God, yes, is also a God of signs and wonders. 
that will be done in, in, in decency and order, right? And so I think it's important for us when we talk about our giftings to remember that, you know, God gives us these gifts to build up his church. They're stewarded for other purposes. And so uh, I was selling a, um, a, a rental property uh, a couple months back, and so I enlisted help from, from people at the transit ranging from the age of 12 to, to 28 to kind of beautify, do some building upwork of that rental property. And some of them had experience with that stuff, some of them didn't. And note what I didn't say as we spent a couple days doing some work on the house. I didn't give them like, here's a hammer, here's a saw, here's a five-gallon bucket of paint, here's some gifts I'm giving you, and have your way with my house and let me see how, what happens, right? I know you're, I know, yeah, yeah, like, like let, let me just see what happens, right? You have the tool, you have the authority to use it however you want in my house. No, that's not, that's not at all how that happened. That would have been chaos because, yeah, it would have been chaos, absolute chaos. And it wasn't, thank you. So what I did was simple ground rules like Paul's doing. It's like, hey, like, you follow this guy, he's going to do this, you're going to do this, boom, 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 boom. And, you, and, you, and, and, it, and it worked out. We, we built it up. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. But I think where we go wrong is we don't think God cares a lot about his house and how his house is built up. I think it's where we go wrong. We think that we, that we get so focused on the gift and, and our right to demand, like it was just in this, this day and age, I have a right to demand that you put me up front on stage or, you know, whatever it is, right? Or I speak in tongues and the, like we just have, the, we think that, that right demands, abil- you know, ability to use in the corporate gathering. And, and God cares a lot how his house is built up and we submit to his word, what he tells us, how, we should, how he tells us we should gather, right? Because he cares a lot about how his house is built up and he never lets us say, I'll do what I want, when I want, with the gift you've given me, with your people. He doesn't say that. We're steward it the way he wants us to steward it, to build up others in love, not to, to make ourselves feel awesome. God cares a lot about his people. God cares a lot about his church being built up. And that's why we come ready to submit to his lordship in our lives and say, all right, Lord, have your way. This isn't about me anymore. I'm coming with my tools uh, ready to come do some building up work for the body of Christ. Uh, and, then, and then, so transition to what we're about to say next, and maybe if you've read ahead, you're anticipating this. Um, Paul's about to say, so shifting gears here, Paul's about to say some shocking things about women being silent in the church. And so a couple of disclaimers before I read this text. One, I didn't write this. Um, let the record show. Um, two, I'm still kind of confused as to how I got assigned this text. Um, but the beauty of this is that's why we go through God's word, right? Like, we're, 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 we're going to preach the full counsel uh, of God and submit to his word um, and, and certain things that we necessarily are excited about and want us, and some things that we might be confused about and Jeff and I maybe don't necessarily want to talk about, but it's God's word, and so here we are, right? But if you have something, if you have an issue with this, you have an issue with <laughs> the text and, and, uh, and, and, the, and, and the Lord who wrote it, so take it up with him. Uh, two, where a text, second disclaimer, where a text is unclear, this is important. Where a text is unclear or difficult to interpret, we do not become dogmatic about it. Especially when scripture is much more clear in other areas. You know, that's how cults get started, right? They take one verse, kind of confusing, and, and, and they ignore the rest of the Bible and they build a whole cult around that one verse. That's literally how cults get started. All right? Third, I will say this. There has been no other person to walk the planet who has accomplished more to dignify, liberate, and honor women than Jesus Christ. And a discussion. The freedoms we enjoy in the 21st century are all due to what uh, he accomplished in the first century on our behalf. Don't believe me? Read this book for yourself. Read the gospel. See how Jesus, see how, see how uh, uh, in a good way, progressive Jesus was in loving, speaking, and honoring women. And then, and then read Acts, and then read Paul's letter to the epistles. Look at, uh, look at all the ways in the early church the women are honored and dignified and built up. They're holding leadership positions. They're co-laborers in the kingdom of God, pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Look at the honor they get in God's word in the first century Greco-Roman world. Rodney Stark, historian, says this. Don't, if you don't believe this, then, then study history. Rodney Stark, historian, the rise of Christianity. He says, in Athens, in Athens in the first century, women were in relatively short supply owing to female infanticide, practiced by all classes and to additional deaths by abortion. Uh, if you don't, I, mean, I think you guys know what that means, but basically is if you had a kid and you found out it was a girl, you'd throw it in the woods for, some, you know, bears to eat. It's, it's awful, awful. 
The status of Athenian women was very low. Girls received little or no education. Did you guys catch that? Girls received little or no education. Typically, Athenian females were married at puberty and often before. Under Athenian law, a woman was classified as a child, regardless of age, and therefore was a legal property of some man at all stages in her life. Males could divorce by simply ordering a wife out of the household. Finally, Athenian women could own property, but control of the property was always vested in the male to whom she belonged. First century context, Greco-Roman world right there. And then this conclusion paragraph of, of the chapter of his book, he says this about Christian subcultures in the pagan world. First, Christian subcultures in the ancient world rapidly developed a very substantial surplus of females, while in the pagan world around them, males greatly outnumbered females. This shift was the result of Christian prohibitions against infanticide and abortion. Second, Christian women enjoyed substantially higher status within the Christian subcultures than pagan women did in the world at large. This was especially marked vis-a-vis gender relations within the family, but women also filled leadership positions within the church. Third, given a surplus of Christian women and a surplus of pagan men, a substantial amount of of exogamous marriage took place, thus providing the early church with a steady flow of secondary converts. Finally, I have argued that the abundance of Christian women resulted in higher birth rates, that superior fertility contributed to the rise of Christianity. So that's the contrast we have between the pagan world and the Christian subculture in the pagan world. Keep that in mind as we read verses 33 through 38. As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So at first glance, this text is, is in the 21st century, is shocking, offensive. It seems as if Paul is prescribing absolute silence for women in the corporate gathering, like no good morning, no sneezing, no singing. Like, like it, it seems very offensive, but that can't be what the Apostle Paul is saying because conflict arises from other passages. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a couple chapters prior to this, that Paul actually permits women to pray and to prophesy in the corporate gathering in 1 Corinthians 11. So it can't be absolute silence that Paul is saying here because out of the same mouth a couple chapters earlier, Paul is allowing women to speak. And then we see in Acts 2 uh, 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 and in Joel 2 that when the Holy Spirit is poured out in the new covenant age, both men and women will prophesy, right? And so, so what, what then does Paul mean? A key interpretive tool, you have to understand this, write this down, three words, context is king. Context is king. Wherever scripture is unclear, the context is what you go to to figure out uh, the meaning. It's one of the things you go to to figure out the meaning. You can't just pull a verse out of context to get its meaning. For, uh, the, the verse in uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ through strengthens me. Does that mean that I, can, that I will ever be able to slam dunk a basketball on a regular size hoop? You, you follow me? That verse is in the context of contentment from a guy in jail. He's saying, I can endure all things because Christ strengthens me no matter what my circumstances are. It doesn't mean I'm going to throw a touchdown pass. Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean that. It means that, that Christ in me means that I can, the verse we read earlier, I can endure hardships and calamities because of that. So that's what happens when we take verses out of context. And so the, this verse that we just read in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it comes in a context. It comes in a context where two times already other people were commanded to be silent. You tracking with me? Those who would speak in tongues were commanded to be silent, and those who were to prophesy were commanded to be silent. And both times, that was not absolute silence. And the equation we see with so far in this text is the equation is this. Silence is a good thing in the corporate gathering of God's people because it means you're submitting to the order of, uh, order of events, if you will, so other people can be built up, which equals shalom. So silence is submission, which is a good thing, which leads to shalom, harmony, building up the church. The flip side of that is speaking out of turn is bad, shameful, which leads to chaos and disordering the church. So those are kind of the equations we've seen so far in this text leading up to the third command to be silent. In addition to that, in the New Testament, the command for silence in the New Testament is never absolute. But it's always contingent on two things, kind of a temporal silence or a topical silence. So temporal means there's a time in the order of events that you are just are not to speak. There's a certain time, right? If other people are speaking, you are not to speak with tongues or prophetic, right? Do not cut people off. And then the, the, the other one was 
uh, topical. There's certain things that um, uh, certain offices or whatever, we, we don't get a, a right to speak into, if that makes sense. And so that's the context, uh, the literary context. So it's important for us to keep that in mind as we approach this text, the literary context, but also another key interpretive tool to understanding God's word is the cultural, historical context of the passage. And this is what Sam Storms has to say about this. This is a very long uh, uh, quote. It's going to be on the screen. Read along with me. He says it better than I could, so I'm not going to paraphrase because I don't want to get this wrong. All right, so this is what Sam Storm says on this, on this text. When Paul tells women to keep silent, he is not prohibiting them from making a verbal contribution to the meeting, whether in the form of worship or praying or prophesying or reading scripture or sharing testimony or similar activities. I think Paul is prohibiting women from engaging in a public interrogation of another woman's husband. Why do I say this? There are two reasons. The first reason is found in verse 35. There Paul says that their speaking was motivated by a desire to learn. The speaking that Paul silences was their asking of questions in an attempt to gain knowledge and insight. If they want to learn, and it is perfectly right and good that they should, they must wait and ask their husbands at home. Note well, Paul does not say, listen, Paul does not say if they have something to contribute, they should tell their husbands later at home, but rather if they wish to learn something. They should ask their husbands later at home. But why would it be inappropriate for women in the church meeting to ask questions in their pursuit of knowledge? The answer is found in the second key to understanding this passage. It is the word translated shameful in verse 35 or improper. Why would it be shameful or improper for women to publicly interrogate or ask probing questions of men other than their husbands in the public assembly of the church? Christopher Forbes says that, Quote, there existed in the Greco-Roman world in the first century a strong prejudice against women speaking in public, especially against their speaking to other women's husbands. In a society with strictly defined gender and social roles and a strong view of the rights of the man over his wife, such behavior was treated as totally inappropriate. Therefore, end quote, Therefore, women are free to pray and prophesy within the assembly. But when issues arise that they don't understand, they must refrain from making probing inquiry. Why? For one thing, there's a limited time in any one meeting, and Paul does not want anyone or any group to dominate the gathering. But more important, to ask questions of the husbands of other women, especially as they might lead to extended discussions, would be grossly improper, and as such, it is not to be permitted. And as such, is not to be permitted. And then, and then Sandstorms goes on, he says this, one could reasonably argue that if this view is correct, Paul's prohibition in verse 34 on women speaking is no longer applicable. For all women acknowledge, at least in Western society, that today there is no shame or impropriety, impropriety in a woman asking a question in public of another was a woman's husband. And so the scenario that we have then is, is say, you know, you were to import Jeff to the first century Corinthian church and he's doing his thing, he's giving a sermon and all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon someone say, hey, that didn't make any sense, can you explain that? And, and that would be another woman, another uh, wife of another man challenging this man in that context and like literally there would have been audible gasp in the room, heads turning, being like, did that just happen? That's insanely offensive. That's insanely offensive. And so um, that's kind of the scenario we're giving, and I hope that uh, there's lots of views on this. I don't have enough time. There's other verses I want to talk about. I don't have enough time to talk about this. I would love to talk to you about this after the, the, the sermon and point you to some good resources where you can do more research uh, on this topic. But the reason this is here, what we do learn even today, uh, the principle we can pull out of this uh, uh, because, because Scripture is edifying and for our good, is that when we gather, we're telling a story of what God is like. And the principle that we need to come with is, am I here? What is my posture when I gather? That's repeatedly what Paul is saying. What is our posture? Is it a capital M, me, me, myself, and I? I'm going to come here. I'm going to receive. I'm going to get. And I'm going to uh, be antagonistic and challenged. And, or, or, or am I going to uh, be here as a vessel of God's love to other people, both, both men and women, both men and women alike? Like, what's our posture here? Is it the same as when we attend sporting events or movies, or is it different than uh, that? And especially, I think that, that you know, what we're going to see here is that all things should be done in decency and in order. And I wish that applied to social media and to uh, public uh, discourse realms today because that's out the window. That's out the window. And it's a tragedy because we're no longer having conversations and uh, being honest with each other. We're just screaming at each other. Really nasty things. And so that leads us to our last verse where Paul kind of gives a summary statement, a final salvo of the gifts of the Spirit before shifting gears in chapter 15. He says this in verse 39 and 40. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, 
but all things should be done decently and in order. And it's almost here again, like we talked about in the intro, Paul is anticipating a response. He's expecting the Corinthians to say, hey, because, because you guys are acting, acting fools with the gifts, uh, you're going to have to lay them down, no more of that, cut it out, like banning, banning it from, from me. He doesn't say that. This text is um, often used to, to ban the Holy Spirit from churches in a way. And Paul says, Paul's words, not my own, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. That's what he says. And, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly. That's what the text says. But let it be done in decency and order. And so this text cannot be used, in my opinion, to, 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 to say that we can no longer do this in church. Paul's saying, Paul just said we can, and just someone needs to interpret, right? And here's the process for how we do that. And here's what I want to say, is that tragically, I think in our 21st century Western world, the response to verse 40 looks like this. This is, this is a verse that I've seen uh, in our day and age. People love to take out of context and just faithfully obey it. Everything must be done in decency and order, and I'm not going to be weird. We're not going to be weird. Yes, I'm not going to be weird. So everything must be done in decency and order. And so it's like you go to a pool party. Someone has a pool party, and maybe like a couple months ago, got kind of out of hand. And so they're reading scripture says, all pool parties must be conducted in decency and order. So they invite everyone back, and they have this huge sign-up that says, all things must be done decently and in order. And you go to the pool party, the student truck's ready to you know, go swim, and that's what you do at a pool party. And they drain the pool of all the water, where all the fun, all the life, all the, 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 the essence of a pool party is in the water, in the pool. They drain the pool. Because, oh, i got to obey this. All things must be done decently in order. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul doesn't give us that option, church. church. Paul's, saying, Paul's saying, you can't, you can't drain the pool. Paul's saying, fill that bad boy up. Inflate more rafts, right? Let's just do it in decency and order. But, but don't, don't you dare drain the pool. Paul's not saying that here. We can't use this text to say that three times. Earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Earnestly desire more of the Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire, earnestly desire, earnestly desire. And I'll slowly wrap up with this. In that command, because this is our final talk on gifts of the Spirit, in that, in those two words, earnestly desire the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a person, the Holy Spirit, God, operating through you in certain ways. So when you're commanded to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, you're, you're just asking for, for more of the Holy Spirit. Packed into that command, earnestly desire, is an assumption. And that assumption is this, is that God has more in store for you. Right? How can I earnestly desire something if it's not available? The, what's the assumption that's packed into this text, Transit Church, you got to listen to this. The assumption packed into this text is God has more. There is more. And God wants in his grace, because he's a good father, wants to give you more. How else can we earnestly, because the, the tragedy we face, and in in, in, in I think in, in, in the American church today, is we think we've arrived. Oh, I know my theology. Like I, I've, read, I've read the books. I, I, I've arrived at the knowledge of God. I've arrived at the, the experience of, of, of God. Right? And so therefore, there's no hunger. There's no passion. There's no thirst for more. But packed into this command is the assumption that if you are commanded to earnestly desire something, it means that there's, there's more on the table, church. Isn't that awesome? That our God's a generous God. He's not stingy with us. And he calls us to more. And he's beckoning us and calling us to more. Say, I have more. But here's the sense. Here's the sense we get in this. There's more if you want it. Not it. There's more if you want him. He's got more to offer if you want that more that he has to offer you. That's a big if. That's a big if. Friday night, date night, Jen and I went to P.F. Chang's. It's awesome. Like you go to P.F. Chang's, you have a huge dilemma. Do you get the lettuce wraps or the dumplings, right? We got the shrimp dumplings, it was amazing. I got my favorite meal, the sesame chicken. And usually my, my, my go-to uh, battle plan at uh, PF Chang's is I eat half of it, I box it up and I'll eat the other half like right before bed, right? Or for breakfast in the morning, like right out of the box. Because they, they dump a bucket of you know, food on you, it's awesome. Because I was hungry and I had no self-control, I ate the entire plate. And I was so jealous the next day when Jen is eating her leftovers. <laughs> I'm just like, just so jealous. 
I was, I was about ready to, I literally could have taken a nap. The, the waitress comes. She says, hey, do you guys, you guys want dessert? I said, no, I, I need a nap. Like, I, I'm, 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 I'm about to pass out. And um, what's interesting there is usually with, with, with date nights, you know, Jen and I try to be healthy eaters or whatever, but like, we'll splurge, right? It's a good thing. I didn't even want chocolate. I love chocolate. I didn't even want chocolate. Why? Because I was so full of something else. That an offer was made to me of something really good, even awesome. But I was so full of something else that I flat out said, no thanks, I'm, I'm full, I'm good. And so my challenge to us today, if we are not a people who are hungering and thirsting and craving for more of God, the question we need to ask ourselves, what are we filling our plates with? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And I want to condemn, I want to inspire that God has so much more and so much better to offer than what we're wasting our time with. C.S. Lewis says there's an ocean of God's grace, ocean of his spirit, ocean of his love and his kindness to be poured out upon us, and yet we're too busy playing with mud puddles, too content playing with mud puddles that we miss out. We miss out. There is more transit church. There is more that he has to offer. 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you believe that? Yes, yes, on the other side of eternity. And I'll argue until I make it to the other side of eternity. And yes, on this side of, the, of eternity, Transit Church, there's more that God has prepared for you. The question is, what is your response going to be today? What's your response going to be today? And so, May it be this, and I'll conclude with this. May it be this. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. May that be our cry, Transit Church, that there is more. And I'm going to fast from other things so I can feast on the more that God has to offer me. And may we never let fear of man and weirdness and trying to conform and fit into the world keep us from all that God has in store for us. Because might I suggest that we're not wanting to be weird as a Christian is a very lame end goal in life. It's very weak, very weak. And that target aims at conformity and acceptance to the world. The target of me wanting to be used by God in mighty ways, his Holy Spirit in normal ways and crazy ways, operating in and through me to go change the world. That target is I'm going to change the world and push back the kingdom of darkness with the king of Jesus living inside of me is a much better goal. Much better goal. Way more exciting. Way more empowering. That's the abundant life that Jesus called us to live, right? And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a spirit, experiential guy, but you're just a, a word guy or a word girl, this is, you're weird. If you just believe the Bible, you can't just pass out weird cards to the charismatics. You're weird too. This, do you know what, have you read the book? Have you, have you, seen, uh, have you seen the passage where, where a donkey speaks, an axe head floats, uh, uh, Jesus uses mud to, to put on some guy's eyes? It's a weird book. We're all weird Christians in the eyes of the world. Get over that. Get over that. We need to care as much about our reputation as Jesus Christ cared about his. And Jesus Christ didn't let, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be rejected. That, if that kept him from the cross, we're still stuck in our sins. On our way to hell. No gift of the Holy Spirit living, implying his, all of his work on our hearts. So, so what I want to do is just give, give space to, to quiet our hearts before the Lord. And I just feel like I was praying in my office this week. And I had a bunch of other illustrations to share and I had to take them out because the Lord, Lord, Lord put this on my heart. And, I'll, and I'll, I will stop talking with this. Is Nick, call them to repentance. And I had this weightiness just enter my office as I, as I was kneeling by my, my, my Ikea coffee chair or coffee table and chair combo uh, of this weightiness, this, this seriousness that, that this is actually like a big deal, church. It's a big deal. Because you're missing out. And when you miss out on God, everyone else around you misses out on what he gives you. So if we want to go change the world, the way we're going to change the world is first saying, Lord, change me. Change this atmosphere, change this environment, change this heart first so that I can go and give, give others what you have given me. 
And so let's quiet our hearts and then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, I'm just reminded that picture you gave us in Revelation of calling out to a church, not to unbelievers, calling out to your church. You say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone wants to, to, to let me in and, and, and share a meal with me, I'll, I'll, I'll come in. And so I just sense, Holy Spirit, you're doing a lot of knocking on hearts this morning. And I ask that you come in and, and do some more knocking. And I pray, Heavenly Father, give us the grace of repentance and, and not, the, not, the, not the condemning repentance, but the, the conviction that leads to a repentance that leads to more of you, that we, we want to repent and turn from some things this morning. We want to ask for forgiveness for ways that we um, have trivialized and cheapened your grace that you've given us, uh, for ways that we have uh, let fear of man uh, 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 um, counter fear of you, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come. And have your way with our hearts. I pray, Lord, that our church, we as a church, would just open up our hands and open up our heart and say, have your way, Holy Spirit. Fill me head to toe with your love. Give me more of you so I can give others more of you. The needs around me are just too great. The needs around me are just too great for me to keep striving in my own strength. And so would you give us that sweet grace of your presence this morning? And lead us into repentance. Lead us into uh, that abundant life, Jesus. That abundant life you speak of in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, to distract us. But you came, Jesus, to give us life and give it everlasting. And so we'll be found grateful today. Grateful for your love and your mercy that there's no condemnation. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. But you're calling and beckoning your church, your bride, back to yourself. Back to their first love. Back to, back to the, their true heart's desire. And I pray, Lord, as they cry out to you silently or maybe even out loud, Lord, that you would answer powerfully, Lord Jesus. That maybe even they open up a crack, Lord Jesus, that you kick, kick open that door and uh, fill them with the height, the depth, and the breadth, and the love that you have for them, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right.